Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Wallet Hub recently ranked Missouri as the sixth worst state to drive in. Uh, there was a woman who got bit by a certain tick, and it changed her whole diet. She didn't want it to slow her down, so she came up with a cookbook. Uh, this might be helpful for you if you have the alpha-gal allergy. Missouri has a severe shortage of child care providers, and the state is offering new grant funding. We'll hear about that. And a new study from the University of Missouri highlights that many workplaces have not reached their full potential. It goes back to the opportunities that certain employees are granted over others. Joining us now is our producer, Cameron Connor, who's with Dr. Ann Peng, and she joins us. Cam, do you think the Show Me Today staff needs this? Yeah, Bill, I think it's time for you and the other people around the Missouri Net Newsroom to listen up. But in order to get to the information of the study, we first have to learn what an informal leader is. So can you, I guess, to give a general description for the listener for this, what is an informal leader? Sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, informal leaders are those uh, who are not in the uh, formal leadership roles. Uh, however, as you said, they tend to be uh, selected, or I quote selected because it's not formal role. So they tend to uh, be looked up on by their peers for leadership. For instance, uh, when you have some issues about the work, you have some concerns, who you go to? You might think, okay, that person might be, you know, would address my uh, problems. And these also tend to be the individuals who exhibit leadership-like behaviors. For instance, they may um, try to encourage the members when things do not go well. They may also try to provide some structure or directions uh, for, for their peers. So, so in a way, they kind of like take the leadership role, even though they were not the formal supervisor or manager. Okay, okay. Thanks for the description. That that definitely helps, I guess, kind of set the scene. And for these work environments that employees select this informal leader, how fast can that, I guess, informal hierarchy get selected? And how hard can it be to break once it gets going? Very good question. So uh, it's not part of our study. Uh, however, so the literature shows that that could be established within days in the workplace. In the lab setting, when they do the experiment, within like the first 10 minutes, there will be probably a leader uh, emerge in that group. And so once that uh, structure being uh, established, it's actually very difficult to break. And that's the point of our research. So it's like they're so the peers have developed this dynamic. So they will always go to the same person for leadership. And as a result, it leaves very few opportunities for the rest of the members, even though they may be motivated and they may be even more capable of acting as a leader. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Dr. Ann Pang from the University of Missouri, speaking about a groundbreaking study that she just finished that highlights that workplaces haven't really reached their full potential and provides some reasoning for how to get the most out of it. As highlighted in the article from this research, once you're selected as one of those informal leaders, then the people that are actually holding leadership positions see them as maybe they're doing their job better, quote unquote, or that may lead to promotion opportunities quicker, things of that nature. So can you kind of describe some of the advantages of being selected as one of those informal leaders? Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, that those who are seen uh, as informal leaders, they tend to be promoted to the manager positions later on. We actually uh, are working on a project uh, with a large bank uh, in China. We found that employees uh, who exhibit more informal leadership, and they were promoted like six months later. Uh, to the to the supervisory role, so it has consequence. And also, we know that um, employees who engage uh, more uh, 
informal leadership behaviors, they also tend to be rated higher in their performance. So therefore, they perhaps receive a higher pay raise and other kind of rewards in the workplace. Dr. Pang, this is Bill. Um, you had mentioned that even if some people aren't selected as informal leaders, even though they may have the skill or have what it takes, are there building blocks or steps to give those workers uh, a chance instead of just these informal leaders? <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, there's actually uh, uh, some other research showing that, for instance, uh, individuals who are more introverted or like uh, people in the minority group, such as the females, uh, are employees, they uh, they were less likely to emerge as quickly as, you know, uh, other uh, members uh, in the group as leader. So therefore, uh, for the organization, I think uh, it's very important to more strategically uh, provide those leadership opportunities to those individuals. For example, maybe after like a month or something, rather than just let the group to, you know, look for, uh, look upon their leaders. Um, uh, as a manager, you might actually uh, proactively seek for uh, advice or leadership from another employee. So that then would provide uh, opportunities that the employees may not be able to get if you just leave to, uh, everything to the group. And from the other side of this, not only will this help benefit some of these other people that maybe aren't selected as those informal leaders, this also, if you're giving everyone these tasks to grow and be independent themselves, I'm assuming it's also going to help the business itself as a whole, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, uh, plenty of research showing that uh, when uh, members uh, or employees in general exhibit more this informal leadership uh, behavior, when they take initiative and ownership at the work, uh, it contributes to better group performance as well as uh, performance at the business unit or even the organizational level. So, yes, yeah, so the organizations would benefit uh, if you have more employees uh, take the leadership in initiatives. No, of course. And I guess more of just like a personal question for you. How long have you and yourself and your team, how, how long have you been engaging in this study? Uh, <laughs> good question. So we started this study uh, in 2019, okay. early 2019. We designed the study and then uh, we collected the data in the summer of 2019, actually just before I moved to Mizu. Uh, and the data collections a few months and then, of course, analyzing the data, develop manuscript. Uh, so it takes uh, a total like four years <laughs> to have okay. it published. <laughs> Yeah, great. Well, congratulations. No, it's definitely a fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic step in the right direction. And one of the other things that I think of in mind, because not only are you engaged in the study, you are an associate professor at the University of Missouri. So when when you're looking at potentially teaching a class or something, have you have you personally have you thought about maybe instituting something like this in the classroom, maybe giving all of your students these equal chances, quote unquote, instead of their pick of an informal leader. Does that make sense? Or does yeah, yeah. Or they not connect at all? I don't know. It was just something I was thinking of. <laughs> well, that's a great idea. Actually, that's actually I'm, I'm using. So for, uh, for instance, um, uh, this semester I'm teaching like online courses. So I will assign individuals into groups. And then I will just random pick uh, individuals to be in charge of the uh, assignment. Mm -hmm. So each individual will be at least uh, be a uh, leader for the group um, uh, through the semester. So everyone has opportunity to, uh, to, to exhibit the leadership. And when I was teaching in person, uh, I realized that if you ask a question, if you don't do any intervention, you will always get the same 
set of individuals to answer your questions. <laughs> okay. So what I would do is that I would always just go uh, up to the student and pick up, hey, what do you think? And I just, you know, random <laughs> pick, uh, pick uh, individual students, and then you can get uh, much broader uh, perspectives and a lot of really good answers too. And are there any other studies that maybe coincide with yours that show some sort of other effects for workers, maybe better moods or something like that? Uh, well, as I mentioned, that uh, I'm uh, I'm working on. Uh, actually, there was another uh, study also uh, published related to this concept of informal leadership. Um, uh, we found that those um, engage more informal leadership, they also tend to develop better attitudes uh, and a more loyalty towards the organization, which I found really interesting. So, in a way that um, you encourage uh, people to engage those uh, behaviors, it's instrumental for them, but also <laughs> through their loyalty to the organization. It could also benefit the organization that way. So yeah, so so I do think that uh, organizations need to uh, think more about how to utilize the leadership potential um, of their uh, employees. Okay, so not only does it lead to more opportunity and a better overall workforce for whatever company, it also can promote some potential great emotional upsides for the individual as well. That's some great stuff that's definitely going to be usable. So this has been University of Missouri's Associate Professor of Management, Dr. Ann Pang. We've been talking about basically how to get the most out of a workforce in a new groundbreaking study that just came out. And thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. <laughs> thank you, Kevin. Mom and Dad used to argue about everything, especially about Dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when Mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. I wanted a better relationship with Dad, so I asked Mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We return to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wallet Hub ranked Missouri as the sixth worst state to drive in. We're coming off of two consecutive years of more than 1,000 roadway fatalities. Marshall Griffin is with Missouri Department of Transportation's State Highway Safety Engineer, Nicole Hood, to talk about MoDOT's partnership with the U.S. Department of Transportation on a new approach to reversing the rise in traffic deaths and serious injuries on our nation's highways. You know, Missouri, we do currently rank among the, the one of the worst states in the nation for laws supporting highway safety just in general. And there's been several reports that we've seen over the last last few years. Actually, in 2017, there was a report from the National Safety Council where Missouri received the, a letter grade, and it was a letter grade of F. Um, and then just overall, um, as far as the safety ranking in that report, we were 49 out of 51. And, and, there, and there's other reports. For example, the Advocates for Auto and Highway Safety, they have a report what they call it's actually a roadmap um, that they have shared. And once again, it, it the very similar tone, um, it basically is saying that Missouri is one of the worst states and just adopting, you know, those optimal highway safety laws. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Nicole Hood. She's the state highway safety and traffic engineer for MoDOT. How do uh, traffic death figures look for Missouri so far in 2023, and how has it looked over the past couple of years? So, unfortunately, the past couple of years, definitely not a good trend with regards to traffic fatalities. Uh, right now, the preliminary numbers are showing us in 2022 that we ended with 1,053 just poor souls, you know, poor souls that have lost their lives. Um, but this is the third year in a row of increased fatalities for the state of Missouri. And unfortunately, it's the second year in a row where we've had over 1,000 fatalities. So, um, this is uh, an unfortunate trend. In the last 10 years, we've seen a 40% increase in fatalities, over 9,000 lives that have been lost. I believe you mentioned in the, your, your first answer something about um, state laws. Um, maybe have, didn't, you didn't exactly say this, but it seemed, seemed to suggest that maybe state laws may have something to do with this. Um, I know that there is uh, no, no secondary seatbelt enforcement law in Missouri, but is there... Are Missouri's laws uh, or lack of some regulations part of the problem? Um, yeah. You know, as far as though having a safe transportation system just in general, there's several different components that are involved. We call it basically a comprehensive approach that we need to be able to move towards safer roads 
part of that is, you know, starting with education and public awareness, but public policy, it certainly does matter. You know, the policies of the state, they have a, a huge impact on how people use the transportation system. And, but we certainly know that you can't just simply legislate, you know, legislate our way to be able to get to zero fatalities. There's several opportunities, though, where we could strengthen the just the, the traffic safety culture. And you mentioned the primary seatbelt law. Yeah, Missouri, we do, we do not have a primary seatbelt law, a hands-free law pro- prohibiting all drivers from using, you know, holding that phone. You know, Missouri, we just have a texting ban for drivers 21 years of age or younger. Um, and, of course, like enhancements to child passenger safety laws, you know, that's important. Um, stronger requirements for teens, such as graduated driver license um, laws, those would all help just strengthen the traffic safety culture in Missouri. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Nicole Hood, State Highway Safety and Traffic Engineer for MoDOT. And from what I understand, MoDOT and the U.S. Department of Transportation have uh, paired up for a, uh, a new approach, so to speak, to combat this problem. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's exciting. So um, we did partner with the USDOT, and it, it is a comprehensive approach, and it's all about trying to reverse that, the rise in the traffic fatalities that we were just talking about. Um, and really, the partnership, it does come after we've had this unfortunate increase in our fatalities. On average in Missouri, we have three people that are killed each day, and, and two of them aren't wearing their seatbelts. And so Missouri, um, we're now recognized as what you would call a first mover for this new DOT program, the National Roadway Safety Strategy. And what we've done is we're committing um, to a call to action, and it's centered around the Buckle Up Phone Down program. So you may be familiar with the Buckle Up Phone Down program. I hope all Missourians are, but it's challenging folks when they get in their car to make sure they do their part in making Missouri roads safer by using their seatbelt and putting down or just turning off their phone while they're driving. Specifically, how is Missouri first mover? Is this Does this have something to do with Buckle Up Phone Down going national? Yeah, so part of being a first mover is there were two DOTs across the nation that are part of this first mover group, and it's Washington DOT and then Missouri DOT. And so we've committed to the action of trying to grow the BUPD program nationally. And we have actually already spread the BUPD program across um, several other states, but our, our focus and our effort is to be able to continue to do that. Uh, we want to be committed to keeping, you know, the BUPD challenge alive, and we want to be able to continue growing that so that ultimately we can have safer roads, not only in Missouri, but we want safer roads across the country because we all travel those roads as well. And it should also, maybe should also be mentioned that uh, Washington ranked even lower on this uh, Wallet Hub survey list. They're 49th. Um, out of 50 states. Um, so what what else is uh, what else is going on in addition to I guess buckle up phone down? I, I understand uh, we're getting probably a few months away from click it or ticket. If I remember my uh, remember that the time of year it usually comes up. Is that right? Yes, um, you are right. Click it or ticket will be coming up, so that's certainly important. Partnering with our law enforcement agencies, um, and it's a, just another way to be able to educate folks, too, giving the, the officers the opportunity to be able to explain to people the importance of buckling up when they're driving. Um, 
we estimate based on the, the fatalities that we had last year, if we could have got everyone to buckle up, we could have saved 230 lives in in the state of Missouri. And what we're seeing now, last year we had 59% of the people that were killed in car crashes, they were unbuckled. So yes, if we could just kind of turn that tide and get folks to do that simple thing of buckling up, we could have a huge a huge difference in the number of folks that are killed on our roadways. And I understand that Buckle Up Phone Down is part of a larger, uh, pro- a larger promotion called Show Me Zero. Tell us about Show Me Zero. Kind of sum that up for us. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely. Show Me Zero. Um, it's Missouri's strategic highway safety plan. And um, really, this BUPD call to action, this commitment that we've made, it really is just part of our ongoing safety improvement as part of Show Me Zero. So Show Me Zero, it's not just a plan for MoDOT or like the Highway Patrol or other stakeholders. It's really, it's designed for all readers with something that each and every one of us can do to be able to, to change the outlook for highway safety in Missouri. Um, and it, it's, it's focused on four simple behaviors, uh, buckle up, phone down, slow down, and drive sober. So it promotes the safety for all road users by focusing on those behaviors. But it really does, it embraces, you know, the safe system approach that we talked about, um, having that, the, the multiple layers of protection, um, starting number one with education, the fact that you know, everyone needs to be aware of just the dangers that are associated with these risky driving behaviors that we're seeing. Um, you know, but we also need to be able to talk about the enforcement. We need to be able to talk about, you know, the public policy. So, and then, and then you jump into, you know, it doesn't end with just education, the public policy and the enforcement, but we need to do our part as a transportation agency to make sure that we're making those improvements and that we're looking at the data and we're maximizing the improvements to the projects, you know, that we're designing. We're making sure we're using, um, you know, making our work in our work zones as safe as we can. But, of course, we do need the public policy to be able to support all of these efforts. And let's focus on public policy uh, for a second. Things like uh, requiring uh, no, no no texting while driving for all ages, and uh, secondary seatbelt enforcement. Uh, that that's kind of an old battle that one. But uh, texting while driving, uh, definitely uh, something that's been on the upswing for several years now. Why is it so hard to get the message across to lawmakers, or that there is a need to legally limit when someone can uh, text while driving? You know, I, that's a great question. I will say I'm very hopeful, though, for this legislative session because we did have a hearing in the Senate side. Um, both Senator Razor and Senator Bean have sponsored legislation for hands-free. So that's Senate Bill 56 and Senate Bill um, 61, and they have been voted out of committee. So I'm hopeful that we'll have some movement. I think, you know, I think folks are understanding now that texting while driving and using those phones, it's not just a younger driver problem. The fact of the matter is for Missouri cell phone crashes, over 70% of those crashes were folks that were 21 years of age or older. And more times than not, the person that's killed in these distracted driving crashes, they are the innocent driver. That was Nicole Hood. She's the State Highway Safety and Traffic Engineer for MoDOT. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. 
Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes. But if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. If you had the bad luck to be bitten by a certain tick, it could change your whole diet and your life in a dramatic way. That happened to Katie Cahoy, and she was not about to settle for having the alpha-gal allergy take away her love for food. She joins us now with Ashley Bird. This is not your typical cookbook because it addresses an allergy, right? An allergy that is sort of growing in Missouri, one we can't really predict is going to hit us until a tick bites us. And I say us because, full disclosure, I also have alpha gal. So we're here talking with Katie Chahoy about her new book, her cookbook, The Alpha Gal Cookbook. Tell us how you came up with the idea to write this book. My friends joke with me that I wrote it out of spite because I am the kind of person that if I can't find what I need, need, I will do it myself. So when I was diagnosed with AlphaGal and I saw that there were not hardly any, if any, resources available to me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this myself because I cannot be the only person on this planet that needs this resource. So I just did it myself. Wow. And let's talk a little bit about this allergy. Um, yeah. You get you get bitten by a tick that has bitten another mammal, and all of a sudden you have a sugar in you, or you're allergic to a particular sugar that's present in all mammal products. What else can you add to that? Well, all I can add is what my uh, physician told me. It goes so much further beyond just, well, you can't eat red meat anymore. A lot of us are allergic to dairy because of the alpha-gal. Um, there are so many additives in foods that are labeled a chemical name that most lay people have no clue what they actually are, but we have this laundry list of ingredients that we have to look at every time we shop to make sure we don't accidentally harm ourselves. We are label readers to the nth degree, and we're having to be label interpreters too because some things are hidden. Some of the B, some of the B vitamins, um, some of the natural oh, yeah. flavors, yeah, are, are based in animal and mammal products. So, and the result is that we can end up in the emergency room. We can end up with anaphylactic shock. We can, it's, it's a serious, serious allergy and one that is increasing across Missouri. I'm sad to say, but when you decided to do this cookbook, was it to, delete some things from the diet or what what route did you go is I'm going to do this that not include this, or I'm just going to present a substitute for this. How did you approach this book? I approached it more from the substitution side. I have a variety of other allergies within my family and by family, I mean extended family. It's just my husband and I in my home. But we have gluten allergies and we have dairy allergies and we have corn allergies and this and that and something else. So I thought, you know, it would be great if there were a resource out there that takes basically your run of the mill, like everyday recipes, what most people would consider an everyday recipe recipe and just provide alternative ingredients for those recipes and still make it taste like something you want to eat on a regular basis. You mentioned one of your favorites, which I really love this one. Um, a big breakfast person. There are so many things that we can't eat, like, you know, a big old slab of bacon and stuff like that. But you found some substitutions and they, they're tasty. Tell us about that. 
there's turkey bacon out there and no hate on turkey bacon, but it's just okay at best. You know that <laughs> as a fellow <laughs> alpha gal sufferer, it's just okay. It's good in stuff, but to eat it like a piece of pork bacon, just like plain, it's just, it's not it. I've discovered chicken bacon is a lot better. Duck bacon is a lot better. Duck bacon is the closest I've found, but it's harder to find and more expensive. I believe you're referring to what I was telling Mr. Smith about um, biscuits and gravy yes. in the article. Um, so I, as I said, I am a huge breakfast food lover. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a pancakes and eggs and sauce and biscuits and gravy kind of lady. And there's a farm based out of Tennessee who specialize in emu, ostrich, chicken, duck, and turkey products. And I found um, a duck breakfast sausage that they offered. So I bought it and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to try oat milk and plant butter and a little bit of flour and this sausage and see if I can replicate sausage gravy. And it is... It was like the first time after my diagnosis, it was like maybe a year in that I felt like a normal person. I was like, this is amazing. This is so close to the real deal. I don't even miss it anymore. It takes quite a bit of creativity, I think, to recreate the sort of, of American diet that we might be used to. A lot of creativity. And, and so we have to reach for things like emu or things are getting better. Products are getting tastier. Um but it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. The first six months of my diagnosis, I was just, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I was just pretty much a wreck. I just didn't even know how to take care of myself anymore. And I felt so defeated. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to eat boiled chicken and broccoli until I die. But then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's familiar. That's familiar. <laughs> But then I was like, you know what, Katie, you are not this person. You are not the person to just lie down. You've got to figure this out. And so I just started small with simple things and started thinking about ingredients I used to use. And, okay, well, we have this alternative that's readily available in the rural area I live in. I'm going to buy different brands and try it and see what happens. And that's how it all started. And then once I got confident with that, my husband said, hey, why don't you actually put this together because other people need this? And that's that's kind of how all that came to pass. And so you've tried these at home and they work for you. And part of it is getting the ingredients, which good news for us, the fresher, the better. Right. It's, yes, it's a, absolutely. it can't can be a healthier diet. Why are we talking about this? Because alpha gal is increasing exponentially across Missouri, um, the Lone Star Tick. And I know that there are going to be listeners now who hear this and have this and will be very thankful for your book. We are talking to Katie Chahoy, who is the author of a new cookbook about cooking for someone who, who has the alpha gal syndrome, um, alpha gal I guess we call it a syndrome, an, an allergy, right? And you live in the southernmost part of the state, right? Where are you from? I am from, I live in Pomona, Missouri, which is about a 25-minute drive from Ar to Arkansas. I mean, we are just at the cusp of the border. We're just right there. I don't even know what the population of Pomona is. I can't imagine it's 500. I mean, it's a little bitty town. Obviously, because this is a tick-borne illness, it's 
everywhere, right? It's even in the cities, um, right? So you have that. Um, what kind of response have you gotten so far from folks as you've published this book? I have been so surprised by how many people have reached out to me and just been grateful and thankful that I did this. And I, I guess I didn't realize that it actually would have a positive impact on so many people's lives. And I'm, I'm so thankful that it has. Katie, what's the name of the book again? It is called An Alpha Gal Cooks. An Alpha Gal. And again, Alpha Gal is a shortened name of the sort of protein that we're trying to avoid. But we all, isn't that correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we're all alpha gals. I mean, that's kind of how yeah. I thought when I first tried to tell people about it. It's like it's a superhero type designation. It's actually like the reverse Spider-Man. You don't want it. <laughs> you don't want it, but you also need to know how to cook for loved ones and stuff with this. I do appreciate it. I am excited to try these because I'm an accidental vegan. Nothing against Nothing against uh, persons who are vegan by choice, but I I was thrust into without much knowledge of how to eat well and and, and flavorfully. So being a cookbook writer is a little bit different because you have to try everything. You have to go out and and actually have sort of a test lab in your own kitchen. So is that what you did? That's exactly what I did. And thankfully... My husband is a saint of a man, and he will pretend to like anything if he (laughs) puts enough hot sauce on it. But when I was testing recipes for this cookbook, I told him, I said, I want you to be brutally honest with me. I don't need you to pretend that this tastes good. I want you to tell me exactly what's wrong with it. I want you to tell me if you think it needs more salt. And so every night when I would cook and I would try a new meal and I give it to him, I just say, okay, is this a keeper or is th- should I tweak it some more or should I forget it? Those of us with AlphaGal do have flavor fatigue or lack of flavor fatigue. So, you know, anything, you know, that's got a little bit of taste that we can have is just explosive to us, right? All right. Well, Katie Chahoy, thank you so much for writing the book and spending some time with us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, 
visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our, our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hey, welcome back to Show Me Today. Missouri has a severe shortage of child care providers, and the state is offering new grant funding to help boost the number of locations. Elisa Nelson talks with Pam Thomas, the Assistant Commissioner of the Missouri Office of Childhood, to explain more about how to apply for a grant. It's hard to go anywhere and not hear about the challenges with child care. At the peak of the pandemic, we were at a crisis level for many of our childhood programs, but especially for child care. Compared to before the pandemic, child care facilities reduced nearly 30 to 35 percent. Um, and so we saw this reduction, but more than any other childhood program that's in the Office of Childhood, child care is just not rebounding from the challenges that we saw during the pandemic. So we've been looking at some extraordinary measures to help rebound the child care system. These child care relief funds that we've received in the office is going a long way to help with providing that sustainability. Um, and I know this is not just Missouri. Um, all states are experiencing child care challenges uh, during and, and post-pandemic, but we're really excited to have the opportunities here in the state to try to help bounce back or bring back um, child care in our state. I just got off the phone with State Representative Brenda Shields, and she said 51% of Missouri is in a child care desert. That's striking. It is. And um, I believe the number might even be higher than that now as we're getting ready to pull some of our more recent data um, that's indicating that could even be a little bit higher. So um, what we're finding is um, there's definitely pockets in the state where families just don't have access to uh, child care so that they can return to work or they can continue to work. And then even in areas where there is child care available, it's not affordable. And so between the combination of those two, we are really in a place in Missouri that our uh, economy and our workforce is being impacted by this. So let's talk about the different grants available. You said there are three different grants? 
Uh, yes, we have um, what we call innovation grants. Uh, the governor's office put a, a news release out about a week or two ago now. What makes it an innovation grant um, that's the common theme across these three is that child care programs are partnering with or working with um, either a local business or a community partner in their area where their child care program is. And together, the child care provider and this partner are funding the child care program. So the innovation grant, by definition, requires at least one business or a community partner to help fund, either through funding or in-kind contributions, the child care program in their area. One is a startup grant, one is an expansion grant, and one is a workforce grant. So I'll just break those down a little bit. The startup grant is for a new child care provider who wants to open a program in their area. Um, so these would be a truly startup in that that child care provider does not have a facility in that location or have a location right now for child care and they're going to open that program. This funding is going to help pay for equipment, materials, minor remodeling, things that you need in a child care program. They're little bitty kids, but they sure need a whole lot of things. Um, in a child care program. So that application, again, called Innovation Startup, closes May 31st. The next one is Innovation Expansion, and it's similar to Startup. The biggest difference is this is for a current child care provider to be able to expand their current program. Um, we can help support equipment, supplies, materials, minor remodeling, all the things that you would need in your classroom. And the third program is a little different. It is still an innovation grant. This is a workforce innovation, but you're not adding any more children or classrooms. So in the workforce grant, um, this is for a current child care program who maybe has empty classrooms or needs to get um, workforce in the facility in order to operate the child care program. So we are looking for businesses and community partners who want to help fund teachers in a child care program. So looking for either part-time or full-time child care staff members in these facilities. And so the business or the community partner again, is nearby or um, in the area of the child care program, would be helping to match funds for those salaries. So the state will help pay for part of that, and then the business or community partner would help sustain that. This application closes June 30th, so we have a little bit more time. It's going to open this week, um, so probably on the 28th of February, we're planning on um, opening and launching that application, and it will run until June 30th. Again, the workforce is just for the staff members' positions within a current child care pro uh, program. Covered a lot of information there, so feel free to follow up. Missouri has a severe shortage of child care providers, and the state is offering new grant funding to help boost the number of locations. Joining Show Me Today is Pam Thomas, the Assistant Commissioner of the Missouri Office of Childhood, to explain this new effort. I'm Elisa Nelson. Now these last two, so the current child care providers and the Workforce Innovation Grant, would those also be dependent upon certain things? 
Yes, great question. Thank you for following up on that. The uh, innovation expansion is dependent upon how many slots or how many children that you want to add to your facility. That number then sets the amount of funds that you're eligible for, as well as if you want to have um, both traditional and non-traditional hours. If you want to have evenings and weekends, then that funding is a little bit more than the traditional daytime hours. So those are kind of the components that make the difference in the funding for expansion. Then on the workforce side, it is exactly as you mentioned. How many teachers do you need in order to get your current facility um, back up to full capacity? So you, we've heard from multiple child care providers that tell us the, the challenges that they're having, having right now is staffing. It's the workforce. They are needing to have help recruiting and retaining child care staff members to work in their program. So this grant can partner a business or a local community partner with that child care program um, who maybe wants to have support to that program for their employees, children, or whatever that might look like. So these current programs, uh, the child care providers, they have classrooms, they have the facility, they have the space, they don't have teachers, and they have a long waiting list. So if we can get the teachers in the child care programs, then we would be able to help increase those slots for families in the community. And then, okay, let's say this would be for a startup. Would they have to be launching the startup by a certain time period? Yes, we do have the time frames. And again, as these are federal child care dollars, we do have a time frame that we have to be able to provide the funding and then close out that grant according to the federal timeline. So for the startup grant, if that um, program is awarded, then they would need to have their um, child care program in place with children enrolled and attending by March 31st of 2024. So almost a year by the time that they would apply, um, depending on when they apply, but almost a year from now, they would have that time to be able to put that in place and have children attending and open. I do want to make a note as well that both the startup and the expansion have the same days. So if you're going to be a current provider expanding, um, the deadlines are the same. Um, both of them are to have children enrolled in attending the program by March 31st, 2024. Pam Thomas, the Assistant Commissioner of the Missouri Office of Childhood, to explain this new effort. That web address, again, earlyconnections.mo.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.